Dear fellow redeemed, I want you to think for just a moment, and this is going to be similar to the way we started last week, but think for just a moment in your own, by yourself or with somebody seated next to you and try to come up with as brief and concise a description of Christianity and what it means to be a Christian. And the reason I'm asking, and the reason that I want you to think this through just a little bit, is, is that I know that there is a, a difference in the different generations that we've got. I want you to think for just a moment on what it means, what it means and what it has meant from your youth until today. What does it mean to be a Christian? What's a good description of being a Christian? Or even to put that a little bit different way, what's the mark of Christianity for the people that you grew up with? Give it a little bit of thought. And I'll give you, I'll give you probably, I don't know, 15 or 20 seconds here. Because that question, for you and for your generation, for the people that you grew up with, what's the mark of Christianity? What does it mean to be a Christian? And you and I, if we look at the Word of God together, we sit down together in, in church here, or maybe you sit down and I stand up, we'd be able to look at the Word of God and recognize that the defining mark of Christianity and the defining mark of the Christian faith is, well, word and sacrament. We even call those things the mark of the church. That how do you know this, this invisible communion of saints, this invisible fellowship of believers is there? Well, the marks of the church are there. The marks of the church being the word proclaimed and the sacraments celebrated. And we recognize that from a, from a Christian context, and when we look at the word of God together, but that's not the perception that we have in the world around us, and that's probably not the perception of those that you grew up with. For those who grew up, um, I guess the first, <laughs> the oldest among us, the idea of Christianity was, was very much a cultural, cultural idea that this concept of America as a Christian nation was a very strong idea and almost part and parcel of their life. That um, a lot of those generations perhaps having gardens or victory gardens in their own backyard or having parents or grandparents, maybe both, who had been, had been farmers and worked the soil, it was like those things just went together. That I'm a Christian, and we're in a Christian nation, and here I am as I, I do this marvelous thing of putting seeds out in the dirt, and then they produce food for us. And the next generation after that, those who perhaps remember fondly the, the days of the 60s and the 70s, they carried a lot of the guilt of needing to be Christian. 
that, and this isn't, this isn't a specific statement about anybody in specific, but it is a generalization that, generally speaking, the baby boomer generation has this sense of cultural guilt and cultural responsibility, that I am supposed to do these things because this is what we do, that I'm supposed to carry out these specific tasks because that is what is expected of me. And that is reduced by stages as you work up the generations to today, between Generation X and, um, and then the Millennials, who are you know, in their 30s and early 40s at this point, and then the generation after that, that is called Generation Z, or whatever the name they have for it. They've got about three different names and nobody can agree. But that idea of, of cultural guilt, that I'm a Christian and this is part and parcel of who I am, that idea diminishes over time. Because, you know, for somebody like me, when I, the first, um, maybe the first presidential election that I actually paid attention to, I was probably in second grade, and it was George Bush the Elder running for a second term against that, that governor from Arkansas, Mr. Bill Clinton. And it was right around that time that there was the concept of the moral majority. If you follow politics, that moral majority was trying to be this political movement of Christians. And that was, kind of a, that was kind of a turning point because that was a group that came out very strongly and very politically and said that these are the morals and the ethics that we ought to follow and actually we make up the majority and we want to influence politics through this political action committee. All that aside, the take-home is that every generation of those who have been born in the maybe early 80s down to today have less of that guilt and more of a reaction against being pushed by guilt. Not that anybody of us likes the idea of guilt or likes being motivated by guilt, but it's more this idea of shifting away from the guilt of the baby boomers and the older generation beyond that to almost an obsession or clinging to this concept of my personal autonomy, my personal authority, and I can do what I want, and that the goal in life is to be free from constraint so that I can, I can live out my, my best life, my authentic life, and I'll be unique and I don't want anybody telling me otherwise. And so that question, what does it mean to be a Christian, especially for those that you grew up with? What does it look like to be a Christian? Where you and I, you and I recognize, according to the Word of God, that being a Christian is associated with the marks of the church, the gospel and word and sacrament. But culturally and socially, Perhaps that idea of Christianity is, is more associated with the infringements on what I can't do. And even, even sometimes the straw man argument of saying, well, the Christians are, are the closed-minded ones. The Christians are the ones who want to restrain what everybody else says. And the Christians are the ones who are even, even backwards. And so it's this, it's this kind of tug of war as the people try to come up with an idea, a concept, 
a definition for Christianity in general. A tug of war between the expectation that if you are a Christian, this is what you do, and on the other side, this idea that you can't tell me what to do at all, and if I am to be a full and complete and unique person, then I do what I want and when I want, and then I can express my individuality as best as I want. So what does it mean to be a Christian? And what do people expect when they hear that you are a Christian? And Paul touches on that today. And that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit over the next few weeks, because it would be very simple. It would be very simple to say, well, to, to push back, to just push back and say, this is what Christianity is, and just be lost in the noise. To push back and say, well, it's all about Jesus, and then every other Christian church, every other Christian church says they're all about Jesus too. So what makes the true Christian faith unique? And what is it that makes the Lutheran Christian faith the true biblical faith? And best of all, best of all that question, not of what makes a Christian, not of even what makes our church body different, but the question, how do we communicate the truth of the Christian faith to a world that, and to loved ones, who believe the, the ideas of the world around them? who believe the idea that Christianity is simply this constriction on what I can do, what I want to do, who believe the idea that Christianity actually inhibits and prevents me from expressing who I am. And how can Christians provide a clear, a clear witness to that sort of a world? And it really comes down to that, that basic question, what does it mean to be a Christian? And Paul talks about that. He says, well, you know what? <laughs> In the last days, there will be terrible times. And you read through that list from 2 Timothy chapter 3. You read through that list, and you think to yourself, when is Paul writing this? And when are these last days that he's talking about? People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemous, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, not able to reconcile with others, slanderous, without self-control. Oh, boy. <laughs> Paul wrote this nearly 2,000 years ago, and at the same time, it's like, this sounds like today, or that sounds like his day. At the in the last days, there will be terrible times. So that question, well, okay, well, when are these last days? Even before we get to the topic of what do we watch for, these last days really began with the ascension of Jesus into heaven and 10 days later, 10 days later the day of Pentecost, and that was the beginning of the last days, and they are last because they end with the return of Jesus. And so Paul, writing this in probably 65, 66, 67, he was living in the last days, and we, living nearly two millennia later, are also still living in the last days. And so the, the things that he highlights here, and you, you look at them, and it's like, oh, lovers of themselves, boastful, arrogant, blasphemous, 
And, uh, and he has this funny way of, of slipping in the things that we, that we often excuse or even that, that parents simply shake their heads and tear their hair out about. Oh, in the last days, people will be disobedient to their parents. And then he goes on with this incredible list that is only rivaled by probably Romans chapter 1. And what he's saying is, dear Christian friends, we are living in the last days. And so you need to know, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does that look like? What does it look like to be a Christian? And he tells us, he gives, he gives an example. He says, well, you know my teaching, down in verse 10 and 11, you know my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfast endurance. He's talking about all the, the content of the Christian faith. He's talking about the marks of the church, that the gospel proclaimed in word and in sacrament is what sets the Christian church apart and the consequent reaction to that gospel. My persecutions and my suffering, the kind of persecution I endured, the reaction. What does it mean to be a Christian? And with verse 11, he just like ratchets up, ratchets up just a little bit because you and I are like, okay, we get it. We live in a, in, a, in a nation, in a world that has a fair bit of freedom when it comes to religious liberty, and we aren't, don't have to meet underground, you know, not literally or, or physically or even metaphorically. We can gather publicly and put our, our time out on the, the sign out by the road. We can gather here and sit in peace and don't have to worry about anything. And Paul says, oh, by the way, persecution and suffering. And Jesus goes to his hometown synagogue, standing in the house of God there in Nazareth, and he's rejected by the people. That a prophet does not have any uh, recognition, any honor in his own hometown and in his house, which circles back. What does it mean to be a Christian? Because you and I are fairly comfortable when it fits our schedule. You and I are probably pretty comfortable with the idea of, um, of God being there, of our Lord being there when we need him. And we're pretty comfortable even perhaps with the idea of, of speaking up and for our faith on occasion or ordering our life according to the word of God. But it starts to get a little bit more uncomfortable when Paul talks about persecution and suffering and Jesus... Jesus is preaching there at Nazareth, and he's rejected by those that he grew up with, by his closest friends, and even his family eventually comes and tries to take custody of him. And this is, this is I think this is a different time from when the people in Nazareth took him to the edge of the cliff and tried to throw him over the edge. <laughs> and maybe it gets a little bit uncomfortable there that we're comfortable with the idea of being a Christian. We're comfortable in this world that we live in where um, there's still some sense and some obligation that Christians go to church. There's still some, still some sense and some idea that Christians act in a certain way. And at the very least, even among our young people, there's still some sense and some idea that if I am to express myself fully and if that's the, the values that our young people have, 
then really they should be able to express themselves and live out their lives according to the Christian faith. That, that's not inconsistent with the ideals of Generation Z. But then God talks about rejection and persecution. God talks to Ezekiel and he says, well, eat this scroll. It's going to taste really great when you eat it, but it's going to make your stomach sour and you're going to have to go and talk to these people about what they have rejected and what they have lost. Which comes around again. What does it mean to be a Christian? And what does that look like for you and for me? And the answer... <laughs> The answer is that, no, it hasn't ever been easy. Even if it was perhaps culturally accepted for everybody to go to church, and that was the expectation, at the same time, it has never been easy to hold on to the Christian truth. And it's never been easy to maintain that, that spirit of you know, positive optimism, that Christians aren't simply this, this little band who is ever shrinking and trying to hold on, hold on as the world encroaches around them. That, that's not the image God has for his church. That's not the vision God has for his church. The image of God's church is that Christians live out their lives to the glory of God and they put that faith into words. And the Spirit uses those words to change hearts and to change lives. What, what does it mean to be a Christian? I think, well, it's right here. That we gather together and we recognize I'm not coming here on my own merits, but my Lord has done everything for me. That we recognize, Lord, I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. I've been sinful from the moment my life started. What does it mean to be a Christian? That it isn't some, some simple grasping of a book of knowledge, and it's not some simple memory of historical events that happened a long time ago. But at the same time, it is a God who moves heaven and earth through the miracle of his word so that you and I can say, I received my forgiveness by mouth today. My Lord came down and touched me individually, personally. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Your sin is forgiven. Because that's, and that, that truth, that truth of the gospel proclaimed in, in sacrament especially, and also in the word, but that truth of the gospel proclaimed in the sacrament is something that, that God has given for the good of his church so that his people keep that one truth in mind. What does it mean to be a Christian? All of the things aside, all other expectations aside, the truth is that your sin has been completely forgiven and that this God comes to you individually through his chosen tools. Through his chosen tools so that you can say, each one, individually, personally, that my Lord knows everything about me and he knew it before I confessed it, but I came here, I came here to receive my forgiveness again. What does it mean to be a Christian? It's right here. That's about the best summary that you could, you could find. That God gives you your forgiveness, each one receiving the body and blood of Jesus by mouth. But think of it this way. I mean, just kind of continuing on that theme. 
last year was, um, was different, right? And you could say that about every year, but, but going through um, the coronavirus pandemic and the reactions to try to contain, contain the virus is really different. And, and I'm sure that it will have some cultural ramifications over the next 10, 20, 30 years especially on our children and for those of us who have been through a crisis or two in our lifetimes, maybe a little bit less, but it's still there. And it would be very easy, very simple to start wringing our hands and saying, well, what's going to happen next? It would be very easy and very simple to, to shake our heads at what we lost and what we missed out on. But perhaps one thing that you noticed and uh, I was meeting with somebody this last week, and I said, I try to keep the service to 65 minutes, so I'll wrap this up in a minute and a half. But one thing that you've noticed is that every time we gather together here, we gather around the Lord's table. And we've shortened up some other parts of the service, but every Sunday that we're here, and almost every midweek service as well that we're here, we gather around the Lord's table. Because here... He plants into your heart, again, the truth of your forgiveness. And here is communicated most clearly that our Lord has chosen to, to locate himself underneath bread and wine. Our Lord has moved, he moved heaven and earth to create another miracle where each person, each person can say, I know that my Lord has forgiven my sin. And how? That I, I taste it. And when you go back to the, the seat and, um, and the children sit next to you and they kind of smell that on your breath, maybe you have that recollection as from your childhood as well. There's that, that silent, almost that silent preaching that here's our life. Here's what it means to be a Christian, to come here in humility, not standing on, not driven along by guilt and obligation, not standing on what we have done and what we've accomplished but coming here to say, my Lord has come to me today and he'll promise to be here again next week. And most of all, my Lord has strengthened me to live as his Christian every day of my life. Amen. Thanks again for joining us here at the Raised with Jesus podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for our sermon discussion guide as well as a link to a PDF of the sermon discussion guide. God bless your day.